0: Welcome back to another edition of You're Mistaken, the podcast where I debunk all the information you may have gotten from unreliable internet sources. This week's episode is going to go over the Constitutional Convention. Have you ever felt like the internet was lying to you, giving you a bunch of baloney, or how about just flat out not telling the truth? Well, like many of you, I've gathered tidbits of information starting the moments in history that have led up to the establishment of our country. But as we know, Google isn't right about everything. So, I thought, why not share everything I've learned over the past 14 years I've been alive with you? With a little help from some of my friends, of course. Here goes nothing. Why don't we take it all the way back to where it all started, the Articles of Confederation. For those of you who may not know, the Articles, AOC for short, served as a document that loosely joined all of the 13 independent states in 1777. In fact, it became known as the first U.S. Constitution. Shortly after it went into effect, though, American leaders decided they needed to make some changes, which we will cover later in this episode. Basically, they wanted to hold a convention to discuss and fix some of its many issues, like how Congress couldn't pass a law unless nine states voted for it. Which means, if my math is correct, Four could say no, but the rest had to approve it. That's craziness. And if that wasn't enough, amending the Articles took the votes of all of the states. Oh, but guess what? That's not all. The Articles also didn't allow for a governor, gave the Confederation Congress no power to tax, and made it so they could only ask for money, not demand it. I mean, honestly, I completely understand why they felt the need to make some changes. When they finally had enough, they put together the convention. It began in May of 1787, 10 years after the AOC joined the states. The group that gathered consisted of 55 men who met at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Overall, these men came from very, very, very similar backgrounds. Many were lawyers, merchants, college presidents, physicians, generals, governors, and planters and, above all, had political experience. Fun fact, Benjamin Franklin, who was 81 at the time, was the oldest delegate there. Pretty cool, huh? But before we get completely sidetracked, let me get back to the story. As the convention began its work, James Madison introduced a shocking surprise. I know, I know, even the guys in ancient history couldn't get a grip on things. That's besides the point, though. Basically, he had written a plan for a strong national government, known as the Virginia Plan. Surprisingly, it wasn't too different from our federal government nowadays. It proposed a president, courts, and a two-house Congress. In Congress, the state population would decide how many people were in each house. The only major difference was that the larger states would have more votes than the smaller states, which, of course, angered the smaller states. Eventually, two weeks of heated debate had passed and there was no consensus in sight. So, William Patterson proposed a brand new plan. This was known as the New Jersey Plan, which was based on the Articles of Confederation. His proposition was by far a huge leap from the Virginia Plan. It was as follows. Each state would have exactly one vote. A committee would carry out the laws and not a president. There would be exactly one House in Congress, and they would now be allowed to set taxes and regulate trade. And, if they didn't have enough conflict already, They needed to oppose the Virginia Plan entirely. This means, if you haven't guessed it yet, he geared it towards the smaller states, in turn gaining their support, whereas the Virginia Plan got support from the larger states. Before you get ahead of yourself, though, Roger Sherman of Connecticut had all of our backs. He was the one to introduce the Great Compromise. His plan was as follows. Congress would now have two houses, a Senate and a House of Representatives. In Senate, each state would have two members, which pleased the smaller states. And in the House, the number of seats would reflect state populations, which of course pleased the larger states. All thanks to him, we avoided some major conflicts. Yet, none of the states were completely satisfied. But they could definitely deal. See, to me, these guys remind of my mom when she would make me and my brothers make up after we fought. And when we refused, like the little kids we were she would make us come up with a compromise to who got the toy, or the ball, or whatever it was we were fighting for. Kind of childish, but in this situation, understandable nonetheless. I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting pretty tired of all this history. So, I thought this is a perfect time to introduce our sponsorship for today's video. Franklin's Energy, an electric drink that will leave you as fast as greased lightning. It's a drink created by the historians who wanted to combine history with a sprinkle of modern favorites. As of right now, energy drinks are all the rage. So they thought, why not test out something new? The line has flavors ranging from Benjamin's Blueberry, Madison's Mango, and Samuel's Sour Green Apple, all the way up to AOC Cherry, and the Confederation Concoction. You can use my code, Mistaken 1787 to get $5 off, which is almost 50%. Now, back to the regularly scheduled program. After the Great Compromise was put into place, other issues still remained, one of which concerned slavery and representation in Congress. It all started when the southern states wanted to count the enslaved people in their populations, since they had more than 550,000, and in turn gained more representation in Congress. The North, however, had very few enslaved people and argued that they were legally property and shouldn't count for representation. Eventually, they worked out an agreement that for every five enslaved people, three would be counted as free, therefore meaning that three-fifths of the enslaved population would count for representation, hence the name The Three-Fifths Compromise. If you're a longtime fan of my podcast, you would know that I can never be ordinary. This time around, I'm going to blow your minds. I was able to contact a super secret science organization that is focusing on time travel and managed to finagle a time traveler from the Constitutional Convention to interview a few of the key leaders on federalism. Here's what they said. First up was Federalist James Madison from Virginia.
1: I, for one, am completely for the Constitution. These Anti-Federalists are convinced we will strip them of their liberties, but they're wrong, like they always are. We need the power to be divided in the national government and to be supreme over state law. We even put safeguards in place to make sure our government doesn't turn out like Britain's. Checks and balances and the separation of powers. The AOC is too weak and we can't go on much longer. Who's with me? We even wrote papers. I bet the Anti-Federalists didn't do that. We call them the Federalist Papers, which is a collection of 85 essays that we piece together. Our hope is that they explain the Constitution and encourage its ratification. I made sure to get it on it. A republic by which I mean a government in which the scheme of representation takes place promises the cure for which we are seeking.
0: Next up, Anti-Federalist Thomas Jefferson from, you guessed it, Virginia.
1: I, despite what Madison says, am completely against the Constitution. I mean, the Federalists are just dying to bring back the all-powerful monarchy that we just got out of. The British kept us under their control for years. Who's to say we haven't had enough? They're going to destroy our liberties once again. We need the power to be put back in the hands of the state governments and not the national one, or else our rights will be stripped away from us yet again. Such a government will favor the wealthy over the common people, and who are we to stop?
0: That was a lot of debate. Are you sweating or is that just me? Kidding, kidding, but I did want to end this with, well, the ending. Nowadays, we have realized that the Federalists and Anti-Federalists came together to form one solid constitution, but not without one final compromise. The Anti-Federalists required a Bill of Rights to be added for them to ratify it, for the sole purpose of protecting their rights that the Constitution originally did not. Subsequently, the Federalists vowed that such document would be added if they agreed to adopt the Constitution. And so, they did. In doing so, they created the U.S. Constitution that, of course, we still use today. Well, I guess that brings me to the end of my spiel. I hope you enjoyed learning all about the Constitutional Convention and everything that happened during, leading up to, and after it took place. Stay tuned for next week's episode of You're Mistaken, where I'll be talking about the importance of civics in the classroom. Remember, we are not makers of history. We are made by history. Martin Luther King Jr. Stay curious, my friends.